0: Thank you choir and uh, and usually me and Dale we plan out our services together and, and I told Dale this week uh, we got to talking and he said what you got for Sunday morning I said I ain't got the slightest clue <laughs> but that that was it. That's what we have for Sunday morning. And so God used uh, just, you know, his Holy Spirit and his inspiration. So thank you, choir. Uh, I did want to also mention real quick, uh, I've had a lot of questions about this. I I meant to do it while I was doing announcements, but I didn't. Uh, Carly, a lot of people have been asking about Carly. Carly uh, had uh, contractions on Friday. She went to the hospital. Uh, They put her on some meds that when she begins to have contractions again, uh, that she can take them and it'll it'll settle those down. Well, she started having them again this morning, and so she's she's on the meds uh, and they are settled down as of when I left the house. Uh, so, so that's that's last I know. Uh, if you see uh, her mom jump up and leave in the middle of the service, she's probably not okay. All right. Uh, but anyways, uh, that that's just where that is. But uh, I just want to give everybody an update. A lot of people were asking. But uh, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Uh, for the power of the cross, for the freedom of the cross, uh, for the truth of our chains uh, that are so interwoven into our culture, so interwoven into the fabric of who we are, God, these chains that, that we cannot see but we can certainly feel, God, but that you have come and by the power of the cross remove them from us. And so, God, let us not be bonded down uh, to to by chains that, that no longer have a hold on us, Father. Let us not choose, God, to allow the chains of sin, the chains of, of, uh, of fitting in all different kinds of chains, God, let those chains not bind us, uh, Lord, but let us experience the freedom that we have found in Jesus Christ, the freedom that has been provided eternally in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I, I just pray that you would, uh, you would preach that message to our hearts this morning. And God, help us, Lord, to... Uh, uh, to just to just see your hand in this. Help us to see where you're going, what what you want our hearts to receive from this. But Lord, help us to live it, God. Let us not just sit on it. Let us not just hear the word and let it just sit there. But God, let us be doers of your word. And so, Father, use this morning for your glory. Use this morning for your kingdom. And use this morning, uh, speak through me, God. Give me a holy unction by your Holy Spirit, Father, to preach the gospel word through uh, the text that you have given me, Father. And and uh, And Lord, that you would... Uh, through this, God, uh, 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 just edify your saints. And so, so God, uh, use this time, be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Everyone can go, on, go ahead and open up God's word to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 is where we will be. Uh, and uh, as you can see, uh, Greg did his thing, and we got a cool little uh, <laughs> uh, a slide for here. Uh, but, but we are beginning a new series called Free. Okay, uh, And what we'll be doing is uh, we will be going through the book of Galatians. Uh, as, as you're turning there, uh, in the year 1215, England uh, was ruled by a king named John. And uh, they had been ruled for many years by a royal monarch. And, and John was like most of the kings uh, up to that point. Uh, his rule was completely authoritative uh, and somewhat abusive. Uh, the bigger issue was, though, that his rule was seemingly arbitrary. Uh, there, were, there were laws that governed the nation, but the laws did not apply to the king. And so the king could do whatever he wanted, whenever uh, he wanted, whether it was in the framework of the law or not. And so and with that kind of authority, he uh, he became, he came, uh, excuse me, It became easy for him to rule uh, without much accountability. Well, in response to uh, King John's rule, there was a group of barons who got together and decided to have a rebellion. Now, rebellions were not uncommon for kings, English kings. Uh, There had been many rebellions in their history, and and there had been kings supplanted. Uh, But this time was different. This time, instead of the barons trying to find a a next in line for the king, go take out the king and put in another king, the barons said, let's try something different. We don't want to replace the king. We want to reform the king. And so what they did is they got together and they made a document. And they brought it before the king... And admittedly under some pressure, but they brought it before the king, and he signed and he sealed this document that essentially placed him under the law, as well as protecting the freedom of the people. This document came to be known as the Magna Carta, or the Great Charter. And the reason I bring this little story up, this little history lesson up this morning, is because... The book of Galatians, the book that we are diving into, has been called the Magna Carta Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. It is a document that God has used greatly in providing freedom for His church. If we think back to pre-Reformation days, the church was dominated by Catholicism and ruled by corrupt popes. But this book became the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther said, I am wedded to it. J.M. Boyce said, Paul regarded its thesis, salvation by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as the indispensable foundation of Christian life and conduct, while Luther, by rediscovering and teaching it, restored to the church its spiritual heart and freedom. And what we see is that today it is just as relevant as it has ever been. Our culture today is trying to redefine the gospel. Our culture today is trying to control our Christian freedoms. And what the book of Galatians does, it makes it abundantly clear that we only have one master. It makes us abundantly clear that there is authority given only to one. Not to man, but to Christ. And that we are free under his gospel banner. Reminds me of an uh, incident that happened one time. I was in the, the DMB. And I went and sat next to this guy. It was a rare DMB time when it was just the two of us. And so I went and sat next to this guy, and with CNN was on TV. And, uh, and we had watched it for a couple of minutes, and he looked at me, uh, and he said, you know the government controls everything that's on the news. And I thought, well, this guy's crazy. This will be fun. <laughs> so, so I said, L- I'm going to egg this thing on a little bit. And I said, no. Nope. I didn't know that. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? And so he went on to explain to me how the government has this agenda. And their agenda is to get every mind to think exactly like they want them to think. And that all people in America are a part of this agenda. We are prisoners to it. So he told me that. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not a prisoner. He said, "Huh? but that's what they want you to think. (laughs) They want you to think that you're not a prisoner, but you really are. I looked at him and I said, I am totally free. Well, I could see at that point he was getting a little frustrated with me. And so I decided to elaborate. I said, listen, my freedom is found in Jesus Christ. I, I, I am free from my sin. And I am free to live the way that Jesus wants me to live. And no one can do anything about it. If uh, there is war, if there is, if there is uh, danger, if there is imprisonment, if there is anything, no, no one can touch my freedom. He looked at me and he said, "Now you're crazy." No, he didn't say that. (laughs) But that's basically the way he looked at me. And by the grace of God, uh, by the grace of God, they called his number, and so we didn't have we didn't have to sit there and look at each other after that point. But but here's the reality: in Christ, we are free. In Christ, we are free. In fact, I think maybe we don't believe that. So I want you to say it with me. we're going to say, in Christ, I am free. All right? Ready, set, go. In Christ, I am free. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? We are free in Jesus Christ. And what this book does, this, this precious book of Galatians does, it helps us to explore our freedom in Christ. Under his supremacy, through his salvation, and by his spirit our theme verse for this for this series and and this series is going to spread out we'll we'll take a break during christmas but then we'll catch back on but our theme verse is going to be galatians 5:1. it is for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery so let's dig in. This is this is kind of intro week one kind of stuff. So, so let's dig in, take an overview picture of the book of Galatians. And in order to do that, we need a little bit of a background, okay? And so we're starting with this background, and this is basically where the background to Galatians starts, is that the gospel starts first being spread after the ascension of Jesus Christ, uh, and... And the, uh, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, right? And so Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? And so the, the gospel starts in Jerusalem. It starts from this Pentecost uh, meeting, and 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 uh, the gospel begins to spread throughout Jerusalem. Well, what does that mean? That means that the believers, the new believers in Jesus Christ, are Jews. And that the new Jewish believers are sharing the gospel with Jews, okay, and so we have some Jew on Jew love going on here, and and this is a good thing, but something happens after a little while, the gospel continues to grow, Jerusalem cannot contain the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so what happens is as the church continues to grow, it starts to spill out of Jerusalem, and it starts to spill into other communities that are filled with Gentiles right we are, we are we have passed our boundaries of just jews and we have gone to gentiles well when it when the gospel begins to go to the gentiles something happens when the gospel begins to go to the gentiles a question becomes uh, very paramount and that question is this do we have to obey the law of moses Do we have to obey the law of Moses? Because as Jews, as Jews sharing the gospel with Jews, they were already obeying the law of Moses. So receiving the gospel, they received grace, but they but they still continued to practice law. Okay? And so what happens is they get among the Gentiles, the Gentiles can care less about the law of Moses, and they get out among the Gentiles and 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 they start saying, Well, if it's by grace and it's through faith, then I'm good. I don't need to practice your law. And then the Jewish believers say, well, wait a second, this is changing things. This is, this is changing the way that we've always done things. This is changing how we have acted. This is changing how we have uh, believed. And so all of a sudden, false teachers start rising up in the church. And these false teachers start teaching that Jesus is only a component of salvation. That, that the reality is that you must have salvation through, or you must have faith in Jesus Christ, but you also must obey the law as given through Moses. Because after all, didn't Jesus obey the law? After all, didn't the disciples obey the law? And... Part of, the, part of the problem here is that when we get to the book of Galatians, Paul has gone into the province of Galatia. He has shared the gospel. He has, there is a small community of churches that has, has built up. These false teachers have come into this small community and they know the gospel that Paul has presented. They know what Paul has said, that it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. They realize what he has said, and so what happens is they begin to criticize, they begin to tear down Paul, because they want their teaching to be right. They want their teaching to be adhered to. So, in large part, when we get to the book of Galatians, Paul is writing a letter of defense. Paul is defending who he is, Paul is defending the gospel that he preached, and Paul is defending the life transformed by the gospel. And so that is basically a rough outline of the book. God, uh, he, he defends himself in the first two chapters. In the next two chapters, he defends the gospel. And then the final two chapters, he defends uh, lives transformed by uh, the gospels. But what's unique about Paul's letters in Scripture, if you'll find it, if you want a, a brief overview uh, of what's about to happen in Paul's letters, all you have to do is read the salutation. Because what what Paul likes to do is he likes to take the salutation and kind of summarize everywhere that he's going to be going in the next couple of chapters and and let you know where he is headed. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to look at the salutation of the book of Galatians. So open it up with me to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle. Sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. When we get to the book of Galatians, we said it was a letter of defense. And what we see very very early on in in verses 1 and 2 is that Paul's authority is being questioned. Paul's opponents imagined to themselves, talked among themselves, came up with a plan among themselves, and said, we have a legitimate beef with Paul we have got a problem with this guy because he is going around and he is claiming to be an apostle of Jesus and carrying the authority that comes with that position. Uh, and, and so what we see with Paul is he shared the gospel boldly, right? As an apostle of Jesus, he went forward and he shared the gospel boldly and he, what he didn't do though is he didn't allow for opinion-based input to be received. Okay, so here's here's gospel. He's I mean, excuse me. Here's Paul. He says I have the real gospel. I have the true gospel and I am going to send this thing out. You don't get a word. Okay, this is the truth. Your opinion doesn't count. I'm not going to let this core message be ruined by people who are hearing it for the first time. And I like uh, Philippians chapter 3. I was studying Philippians in college uh, with a friend. And we got to Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. And, and he looked at me and he said, Paul's so aggravating. <laughs> and and this is this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of attitude that, that the people in all the churches Paul uh, Paul dealt with had to deal with. And uh and it's Philippians 3:15, it says, All of us who are mature should take us such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that, too, God will make clear to you. <laughs> I love it. It's like, if you agree with me, good. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. May God have mercy on your soul. You know, that, that's basically uh, what he's saying. Uh, he's, he's hard to deal with. Paul is a hard to deal with dude. He sees it his way. He sees in black and white. And you know as well as I know that dealing with black and white people is a difficult process. I know because I am one. All right. I know because I, I and oftentimes I do see things in black and white, especially when it comes to the word of God. And so so it dealing with straightforward and black and white people is a difficult thing. I remember uh being at a meeting with a bunch of youth ministers. And there was this big event coming to Baton Rouge. They had, they had rented out uh the whatever, the, I can't remember the name of the, the big auditorium in downtown Baton Rouge. And, and, and so they were planning on thousands and thousands of kids being a part of, of this big event. And, and this guy came and he was presenting uh, what this thing was all about. And uh, he said, the only caveat, guys, the only problem is that it's during the school day. So we're going to have this big event, but it's during the school day. We said, well, that's not a little problem. <laughs> you know, that's a big problem. And he said, no, it's not. And here's why. And so he pulls out this letter, and it's some law that he has printed out uh, that that he showed us. He said, you take these to the principal, you pound it on their desk, and you say, the law says you must let the students go. I said, all right. (laughs) Then he said, and by the way, I'm going to be the one sharing the gospel at this event, and I think we'd all agree that out of all of us here, I'm probably the best one at doing it. And so I think at that point our pride got a little bit hurt. (laughs) I don't know exactly, but basically I think this was the question that was going through our mind. Who in the world do you think you are? We've never met you before in our lives, and you want us to go into the schools and wreck the relationships that we have spent years building with these principals and vice principals. and then you're going to say, and by the way, I share Jesus like I am Jesus. You know, we do we not going to have any part of this. We're like, who are you? What, what is going on here? We've never heard of you, and we've never heard you share the gospel, and as far as we know, you're not even a Christian. This means nothing to us. And this is basically what Paul's opponents are telling him as well. Who does this guy think that he is? Who does this guy think that he is, that he claims to be an apostle? What what basis does he have to say that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ? See, apostle literally means a sent out one, okay? That's what an apostle is. It is a sent out one. And there were two major prerequisites for being an apostle. You had to be an eyewitness of Christ's ministry, and you had to be chosen by Jesus for that position. All right? And so basically, this was the argument, all right? Uh, because both of these things had to go together, that this was their argument that Paul was not an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. Paul was not an eyewitness to the ministry. There's, there's no history of Paul having a direct uh, relationship, a direct account from Jesus Christ. And so how does Paul respond to that? That's where we get verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Here's basically what Paul said. I'm not worried about your rules. He said, I'm not worried about your, your def- definition of what an apostle is. Okay, I am not worried about your rules because Jesus spoke to me. We can think back. What's, what, what's happening on this Damascus Road experience where Jesus speaks to Paul? If you want to turn there, it's Acts chapter 9. It's, it's Paul's Damascus Road experience. And basically, I'll read it to you. Acts 9, verses 3 through 6. It says, as, Paul, or as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? "'Who are you, Lord?' Saul asked." I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So there is a a direct encounter with Jesus Christ, right? And then he says, I'm going to send you into the city and there you will find out what you are supposed to do. So what is the call on his life? If you skip down to verse 15 in Acts chapter 9, Jesus says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel israel so here's what paul is saying in essence my apostleship is not based on your opinion of me okay my authority is directly from the lips of god listen church the same is true for you the same is true for you the one consistent thing about the opinion of man is that man's opinion is going to be inconsistent okay that's the one thing that we know for sure is going to happen if we take a poll of any question on any topic in this room we will get a hundred different opinions okay we just know that (coughs) that our opinions are going to be different and so our goal is not to gain the approval of man right We'll talk about that more next week when we actually dig into the verse we're about to read. But our goal is not to gain the approval of man. Verse 10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Listen, our consistency, our authority, our strength is all found in the Word of God of God. It is by the word of God. And if God says it, it sticks. I love how Jesus kind of paraphrases that or I paraphrase him I suppose, but Mark 13:31 says, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away." And so immediately, Paul addresses the question about his authority. But then he moves on a little bit and he deals with a question about authenticity. And the authenticity of his message. Now, the second charge is directly linked to the first charge. If Paul came and he was not a true apostle of Christ, then the message he preached was not necessarily the true gospel of Christ either. In fact, what, what, what's been known, or the name that's been given to what the Galatian churches were doing here has just been called Galatianism. And this is the definition. It's, it's the idea that since we are saved through faith and perfected by keeping the law, salvation is faith plus works. Okay? That's the idea. That's Galatianism. That salvation is faith plus works. But this is the opposite of Scripture, isn't it? This is the opposite of what we learn in Scripture. The law was given so that we could see that we cannot keep it. (laughs) Paul teaches us this. The law was given to us for us to recognize that we cannot keep the law. And James says if we stumble at just one point, we are guilty of breaking the whole thing. And so if if you have ever lied in this room, okay, you are no more clean before God than a murderer. Right? Right? That's what the law, that, that, that's, what's te- that's what this Word is teaching us. If you have ever used foul language in this room, then you are just as unclean before God as a pedophile. That is what this Word is teaching us. All our works do is bring us condemnation. That's all our works do, is it brings us condemnation. So if the Gospel is faith plus works, please, by the grace of God, let it be 51% faith, because, because my works are going to send me to hell. That's where my works are going to send me. And that's where your works are going to send you, unless this faith is greater than my works. And that's just what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that through faith we lose condemnation. Through faith we are set clean before God. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It has nothing to do with my works for Him, but everything to do with what He has done for me. And Paul reminds us of this. Let's read verses 3 and 4. It says, "Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins." Two big words here, two big words, grace and peace. We'll start with grace. Grace is the very essence that of of or the very essence of grace rather is that you don't deserve it. Right? We've all been taught this. The very essence of grace is that you don't deserve it. It is not our works that come alongside of grace. It is our works that necessitate grace. It is our works that were sending us to death and destruction. It is our works that Jesus bore on the cross. And it is our works that were overcome when Jesus rose from the grave. We only have victory because Christ is victorious, right? It is not because of what we do. It is not because of how we live. It is not because of who we are. It is because of Jesus Christ. And to think that we play a factor in our salvation is arrogant foolishness. It is absolute, arrogant foolishness. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Very familiar passage. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So no one can boast. Salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Alright? That's, that's that's the truth. There's another truth. We don't only have a gospel of grace but we have a gospel of peace. Listen, it is our works that bring us under the wrath of God. It cannot be salvation; cannot be grace and uh, and works, because it's the very our works that actually bring us before the wrath of God. And the the fact that Paul mentions here, peace is absolute, absolutely crucial. We only have peace with God because when Jesus died on our behalf. He absorbed the full wrath of God in our place. That's the only reason that we have peace with God is that when we or that when He took that cross, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the only reasons. Christians are not in the favor of God because they somehow earned it. We are in the favor of God because Jesus lives inside of us. It's kind of like the family who loses a child. When a family loses a child, oftentimes a symptom or, or oftentimes uh, one of the uh, results of that is is that they will still invite the friends of that child to come over. Because, because what they see is, is when the friends of their child who has passed away come over, they get to see a little bit of their child in those friends. It gets to bring back some of those memories. It, gets, it, it draws something very warm uh, in their heart. And that's kind of how it is with Christ, except that He is alive. Scripture teaches us that we clothe ourselves with Christ in Romans chapter 13. And so when the Father sees us, he has the enjoyment and he has the relationship that he has with his Son. So Paul says this is absolutely crazy. This is absolutely crazy that you would try to put works, you would try to put what we do alongside of the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing in all the world can compare with what has been done for us. And so we have this question of authority, then we have this question of authenticity. And finally, in verses in chapters uh, 5 and 6, we have a question of authorization. The final complaint against Paul was that the gospel message was leading to loose living. <laughs> the gospel message was, you know, uh, as one... Uh, as one uh, minister said to me one time, who did not believe in once saved, always saved, he, he told me, he said, uh, uh, you get saved and then for you Baptists, it's party hardy, woo! You know, and, and that's kind of this idea here, is that the, the gospel that, that Paul is preaching is leading to a loose kind of living. Because in their mind, stressing the law meant stressing morality, And don't tell me that that is not an issue that we deal with here in the Southern Baptist Church. Stressing stressing the law meant stressing morality. And therefore, if you take the the converse of that, that stressing freedom from the law meant stressing freedom from morality. Thus, authorizing them to sin. What does Paul say here? The second part of verse 4 and then 5. It says uh, that Jesus died for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what we have here is this, this very reassuring word from God's word that we have been rescued. Okay, That Jesus has come through the gospel, through the cross, to rescue us. But here's what I want you to see. Rescue here in the Greek does not mean a deliverance from. Rescue here means a rescue from the power of. Okay, it's not a deliverance from, it is a rescue from the power of. So uh, what I want you to think of, the way I want you to imagine this, is a water rescue. Somebody falls off of a boat, and they are they are struggling for life. They are fighting to keep their head above water so that they can breathe. What The picture that we have here is not someone diving in and grabbing him and bringing him back on the boat. That is a deliverance from. The picture that we have with this word is that someone throws him a life preserver someone throws him one of those little circular raft thingies <laughs> and, and they throw him a life ring and he holds on and he is able to keep his head above water he is able to stay afloat so what we see here is Jesus by his finished work at Calvary does not pull us out of this present evil age He does not remove us. We don't get saved and then raptured, okay? (laughs) That's not what happens, right? He doesn't pull us out of this present evil age, but rather gives us the strength to stay afloat. He gives us the strength to stay afloat. That is, we will not be sucked down into the whirlpool of sin because we have been rescued from its power and from its control. Here's the problem. Freedom <clears throat> sounds like party <laughs> freedom sounds like party we are we are adults mostly in here and yet even to us today when we hear the word freedom when we say that someone's being freed from jail our thought is they're going back to crime when we think about our teenagers, you're finally old enough to have a little freedom on the road. That means, oh Lord, what are they going to do with the car, <laughs> right? When we think about, you know, uh, I mean, how many stories have we heard? How many stories maybe have we experienced? How many stories have we been direct participants in? <laughs> that, that we have been given a little freedom and we have taken it the extra mile, right? And so, so this is the picture that we get with freedom. But here is the truth of what Jesus uh, has done for us and what Paul is teaching is that freedom from the law does not lead to sinfulness. Freedom from the law does not lead to sinfulness. Listen to this. This is very important. Freedom from the law leads to Jesus. Freedom from the law does not lead to sinfulness. Freedom from the law leads to Jesus. J.M. Boyce again says, Christianity does not lead the believer away from the law into nothingness. And I think that's what our thought is. Our thought is, once you're free, there's no rules, there's no regulations, there's no limitations. Everything is completely wide open. It's nothing. You're just, you're just going out there and you have no restraint, no control, no, no anything. And that Christianity does not lead the believer away from the law into nothingness. It leads him to Jesus Christ, who, in the person of the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within him and furnishes him with the new nature that alone is escape, is, or excuse me, is capable of doing what God desires. Basically, what that means is, when we are freed from the law, we are made new within our hearts. When we are truly freed from the law, we are made new within our hearts. And when we are made new within our hearts, as the very ending of verse 5 tells us, we will be free forever and ever and ever and ever to the glory of God the Father. The book of Galatians, guys, has been uh, referred to as a mini Roman kind of the same idea as Romans in a more condensed form. But I, I certainly believe this book can stand very well alone because it emphasizes our freedom in the Word of God as our authority. It emphasizes our freedom in the work of God as our salvation. And it emphasizes our freedom in the will of God as our holiness. I want to conclude with this, this quote from Charles Erdman. He says, Wherever religion has lost its reality, Think about, uh, and, and sorry, where, I want you to think about these phrases as I read them. Think about how they apply to you. Think about how they apply to us. Okay? Wherever religion has lost its reality, wherever ritual is more regarded than right living, wherever subscription to a creed is substituted for submission to Christ, wherever loud claims of orthodoxy are accompanied by conduct devoid of charity, wherever deeds of self-righteousness are obscuring the glory of the cross. There, this epistle should be made to sound out its clarion call to a new dependence upon justifying grace, to a faith that is shown by works, to a walk that is by the Spirit, and to a life inspired by love. Let's pray. God, I love You. I thank You. I praise You. God, many of us are in different places this morning. God, I pray right now that maybe in our lives we have decided that we are the authority. We have taken rulership of our own lives. And we are living in idolatrous sin. God, may we come back to Your Word. The freedom of following Your Word. The authority of your word. And maybe we have gotten sucked up into tradition. Maybe we have gotten sucked up into uh, culture. And that we have been pulled away from the truth that salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone in Christ alone. And God, that even though we know in our heads, God, that that is an absolute truth, if You would look at our lives, they would be very obvious, it would be very uh, just blatant, God, that we are seeking to earn Your grace. God, would You settle us on the work of Calvary? Would You settle us with the work of Jesus Christ, realizing that our work does nothing? Finally, God, when we are settled there and when we find our authority under your word, God, would you help us to walk in your will? Help us to do what you would have us to do, not because we're earning anything, but God, because we love you. We are loved by you. You are more important to us than anything in the world. God, I pray for a powerful time, Lord. I pray for over the next several weeks, as we dig into uh, this this profound book, as we uh, as we look into uh, the truth of of your heart for us, God. Lord, I pray that you would suck us in, God. That you would help us. You would you would grow us. You would train us, Lord, to be the disciples, to be the apostles, to be the men and women of God that you have created us to be. Let us follow Your Spirit. Let us be filled with Your Spirit and changed daily by the gospel message from the inside out. Lord, I love You. Use this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.